quintessential book on bad days is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. In this book, uh, it follows a character by the name of Alexander. He wakes up in the morning and he's chewing gum and the gum goes from his mouth to his hair. And he says, this is going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. As the day goes on, he ends up messing up his daddy's photocopier. He ends up not being picked for certain things in school. And he also wishes that he could live in Australia. And at at the end of each moment, he says, this is going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. When Disney decided to produce this as a movie, they nailed the casting. They picked Steve Carell, who is Michael Scott from The Office, to be Alexander's dad. So what we know about this is, this book illustrates to us something that's really powerful, which is this, all of us have bad days. And you may have heard it said before this too, that the bigger the kid, the bigger the problems. Or you could say, the bigger the kid, the worse days that we have. We know that we all experience bad days, but sometimes those bad days turn into bad weeks. Those bad weeks turn into bad years, or I should say bad months and then bad years. And sometimes we just have bad seasons. Today, as we engage the book of Ruth, we're asking one question, which is this. How do you have hope on your bad days? How do you have hope on your bad days? Turn to Ruth chapter 1. If you're live streaming, you can use the YouVersion app. If you're here, we also encourage you to take your physical or digital Bibles. We're going to be in Ruth 1. We're beginning a brand new series today called The Gospel According to Ruth. Why are we in this passage? Well, we're in the book of Ruth because Ruth is ultimately a family member of Jesus, but also this is a Christmas story. This is a story that helps us understand the good news of why Jesus came to earth. And so the book of Ruth is written during the time of the judges, which is Israel's dark history. Israel is God's people. And so during this dark time, Ruth chapter 1 focuses on a woman by the name of Naomi. She moves from Bethlehem, which means house of bread because there's a famine, and she moves from Bethlehem all the way to Moab. So she's moving from her homeland to a foreign territory, and she moves there with her husband and two sons. And her two sons married two Moabite women. And soon thereafter, her husband dies and her two sons die. And that's kind of the setup that leads us into this passage. So as we begin to read, let's go to Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. We'll start there. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters, Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, 
even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's bitter for me than for you because the Lord, has hand, his hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Let's go to verse 19. So then two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. If there was anyone in the Bible that experienced a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, it would be Naomi. And there's a part of this passage that's so ordinary. 55 of the 85 verses in Ruth is dialogue. You know, so sometimes when I'm reading dialogue, I tend to gloss over it. If you do that in the book of Ruth, you're going to gloss over more than half the book. So what we learn from is the dialogue within the book. And what makes the dialogue so powerful is this. It's, it's a real conversation that people would have. There's something so timeless about what Naomi says. That if you're grieving and if you're in pain if you're going through a season of depression and anxiety, you probably have felt what Naomi has felt. So in some degrees, we're not so disconnected from the past. But in other degrees, there's a cultural understanding that we need to have about Naomi. Naomi is, in fact, grieving just like any of us would be grieving, losing a husband and losing two sons. On top of that, in Ruth 1.5, it talks about how Naomi, or how Orpah and Ruth also experienced infertility. And here's where the culture is a little bit different for today. Naomi, her way of survival was this. She hoped for a husband, she hoped for sons, and she hoped for grandsons because they would be, the men would take care of her. They would be her way of survival. If one of them died, then no matter how long she lived, but she lost her husband she lost her two sons. So when we begin to really unpack what Naomi's saying, she's in a foreign land. Moab is enemies of Bethlehem, enemies of the Jewish people, enemies of God's people. She's lost everything that she has, and now she's wondering, will I even survive? I think about this. My grandma Englert, uh, my grandpa died when my dad was a, a high schooler, and that was in the 1970s. I'm not really sure what their life insurance policy was, but I do know this. My grandma, after my grandpa died, she went to work for IBM as a machinist. She worked for approximately 20 years, took care of my uncle with special needs, and went from there. Naomi didn't have those options. Naomi didn't necessarily have, her life insurance plan was the men in her life, whether it be her sons or her grandsons. And here's two of her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, and they're infertile. You can imagine the feeling and, and the wondering if God is even there. And what ends up pushing Naomi back to Bethlehem is now in the darkest of times, during the judges, 
all of a sudden there's a barley harvest, there's food that's in Bethlehem. And this passage powerfully illustrates two things, and it's answering our question that we started with, how do you have hope in your bad days? And the first thing is this, real hope grieves the tragedies of life. Real hope grieves the tragedies of life. If you read this passage and you think through this and you say, man, Naomi sounds fairly complainer-like. She complains. She doesn't trust God. She seems like that the whole world has caved in on her. And there's scholars that judge Naomi. There's scholars that basically say she didn't have enough faith in God. She didn't know what she was talking about. And I wholeheartedly disagree with them. Here's why. Some passages in the Bible are straight teaching. So when I read when Jesus says, blessed are they who, who are merciful, blessed are the peacemakers, those are directly applicable teaching passages. We'd call that prescriptive. You're supposed to be compassionate. You're supposed to be gracious because God has been gracious to you. But there's other passages that are descriptive that you can actually feel what the author is feeling. You can actually feel what Naomi is feeling. So if you're taking this passage as teaching, you can jump to that conclusion, but this passage is descriptive. It's descriptive on what it means to be human, what it means to grieve, what it means to go through pain. And think about this. We have a God that's so secure, so powerful, that in the holiest of books, in the Christianity's most holy books, the author of Ruth feels comfortable enough to leave the diary of Naomi. Be frustrated, be angry, be upset. If you fast forward a, a couple chapters or a couple pages in, in your Bible, you'll go to John eleven thirty five, The shortest verse in the Bible, one of the most powerful. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You think about that. The author of Ruth feels comfortable leaving in the grieving, the weeping, the frustration, and the anger from Naomi. And then later on, we see that the Savior of the universe grieves. Jesus is all-knowing, all-powerful. He has everything under control. But in a moment that he loses one of his best friends, in the moment that he comes face-to-face with two of the women in John 11 that lost their brother, he weeps. That says something so powerful about, about us and the characteristic of God that God doesn't judge Naomi for what she feels. But this chapter opens up, it says that real hope, real hope isn't just wishful thinking. What real hope does is this, it invites you to grieve and to process your pain because you're not alone. The savior of the universe, Jesus, weeps. And in the prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah, it says this, he's a man of sorrows. This morning, I read a devotional by Dante Stewart. He's an author, and he wrote about Advent, and this is what it says. It says, it seems that the first word of Advent for us is this, it's okay to cry. This season has a way of allowing us to pause and allowing ourselves to feel, to hurt, to be honest, to be angry, to lament, to ask, and to question. We can cry over loss, but not as if the loss 
is everything. You know, some of you today, as we think about Advent, the celebration of Christmas that starts today, some of you are experiencing great pain in your life. You could be depressed, you could be anxious, you could be in the middle of a divorce, you could have a a strange relationship, and and the celebration of Christmas is going to be very different this year. You might have lost your job. This season might not carry the hope that it has. It might not seem like there's, you feel like, Naomi, that you're just trying to survive another day. The power of this passage is this, is there's a God that that is not only inviting you to grieve, not only inviting you to weep, but is also saying that they have wept too, that Jesus has been where you've been, that Jesus gave up the riches of heaven and in the gospel walked where you walked, cried where you cried, was angry where you're angry, and that you are not alone. When I think about this passage for my own life, I think about the season that my sister had cancer. My sister was seven years old when she developed cancer, and um, it was a very difficult season. My parents and my, you know, my brother and my sister and even myself are asking, why would a little girl have to walk through that? And I'll tell you what, we cried. We went through pain. And we're still asking that question. Why? But we did laugh a little bit. My sister ended up having her kidney removed, and whenever we were driving somewhere and I needed to go to the bathroom, she said to me, I have one kidney, I can hold it better than you. <laughs> As I look back at that season, I, I hope that no one ever has to go through what my sister who survived went through. I pray that none of you do, but I also know that God did some amazing work in my parents and my sister and my brother and myself. And there's still some grief in there. There's still some pain. But what I have begun to see is this. I love it when my parents, or even my sister, they notice someone that's balding from chemo, and they walk up to that little girl, or that little boy, or that person, and they say, me too. Because they've done the process of grief, they've grown, and and that's a story of our lives is that even in the darkness, God is still working, and we can see that now. And for many of us, we want to go to Ruth 1, and we're saying, okay, get to the happy ending of the story. We want to rush to Ruth 4. But for the majority of our lives, we live in Ruth 1, 2, and 3. And there's an invitation from Jesus to say this, it's really difficult, and it's really dark out there, and you might be the most painful seasons, but number one, I weep with you. And number two, I'm working behind the scenes. This passage is framed by Ruth 1.6. It says that there's food now in Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally meaning house of bread. And then in 122, there's a barley harvest. The reason that we can grieve, the reason that we can have hope through that grief is this, is Ruth 1 is not the end of the story. So how do you have hope on your bad days? Number one, Real hope in Jesus grieves the tragedies. Number two, real hope in Jesus embraces, courageously embraces relationships. Real hope in Jesus courageously embraces relationships. 
when I think about this passage, you can see that Naomi is blinded by darkness. If you and I experience that pain, it would be very, very difficult to see how God is working. It'd be very, very difficult to see how God is moving. So it makes sense that when she comes back in Ruth 1.20, she gets to Bethlehem and the women notice her and she says this, don't call me Naomi Pleasant, call me Mara because God has been bitter, because it's been bitter. You can begin to tell that she's going through the difficulties in her life and it's so hard to see. And so when she gets there in Ruth 121, she makes this comment. She says, I left full, but now I have nothing. And in a moment of brief humor, if you're Ruth, you're sitting there, you came back with nothing. And the reason why we can laugh about it now is because throughout the rest of the story, God was gonna use Ruth to help Naomi not only survive, but to thrive. So the question that we have to deal with is this. Who are the Ruths in your life? Somehow, Naomi was sad, depressed, and grieving, but there was a loyalty that Naomi had with Ruth. There was something of a connection that Ruth said this, no matter how difficult the things are, no matter what's going on, no matter my own grief, I'm willing to create, courageously stand with you. And in some ways, Naomi takes a turn in the second chapter, you'll have to come back next week for that, and ends up relating to Ruth. Let's be honest. There are times that reading the Bible and prayer are stale. There are times that your prayers feel like they're hitting the ceiling. There are times that when you read the Bible, it just is going through the motions. And most often what we say to people is this, is we say, well, just keep reading, keep doing that. But the truth is, is that sometimes we need other people to help us see Jesus. Sometimes in the darkness and pain, we need to walk with someone who's seen our pain. We need to be with someone who has been there for us. Who are the Ruths in your life? Who are the people that know and understand? Who are the people that care about you that maybe instead of stepping back, you step towards? This is why we have small groups. Small groups should be the safest place for you to say this. I'm depressed. I'm going through a struggle. I need counseling here. I need prayer. I need, I need help. Small groups of 10 to 12 people, those are the environments where we can support each other, where you can receive support. And how are you supposed to receive support if you don't say anything? That's why also we have a program called Celebrate Recovery that meets here on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. It's for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. That's why in January, we're gonna have a grief share and divorce care. We're gonna have these moments because what we realize is this, it's not only about the content, it's not only about understanding, but it's knowing this, is that somewhere in those groups, in your small groups, coming to celebrate recovering, coming to a support group, that somewhere in there, there's someone else that you can courageously embrace a relationship with. There's someone else that can walk with you. Rebecca Lyons says this. She said, I do believe the measure of trial you've endured does directly relate to the measure of hope you can offer the world. Let me read that one more time. 
I do believe that the measure of trial you endured does directly relate to the measure of hope you can offer the world. I want to stop one second for a caveat based on what Rebecca Lyons just said. You know, we see people that need support. You might be in a season, and most of the time in sermons, if you say, this message is for someone else, the pastor usually, you know, makes a comment and says, no, it's for you. But for some of you, you are in a very good season, but you know someone that's in a Naomi-type season. I would say this, don't give up on them. Don't ask for permission to text them and to be with them. Because here's the deal. The suffering in our life, as Rebecca Lyons said, it allows us to be there for other people. Sometimes you're asking, who's the Ruth in my life? And other times you're asking this, who's the Naomi in my life that God is calling me to step, step with, to be with? Because what happens with our suffering, what happens with our pain, is sometimes it's not clear that we have these happy endings as we know them, but sometimes God places people in our life that can walk with us. What if we were a church that we didn't ask for permission to bring the meals, to, to, to be there, to have the coffees with people, to sit with people? At some points in your life, you're going to need the Ruths, and at other points in your life, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to find the Naomi's and be there for them in a powerful way. You know, when I think about this passage and I needed a Ruth, I'll never forget when I first moved here, my first year here, it was career transition. I, I married here with the sole purpose. I would have been a garbage um, I would have been a garbage picker-upper. I would have, you know, worked at McDonald's. I would have taken any job to move up here because I just wanted to get married, even outside of my skill set. But as I moved here to Rochester, professionally, it was very difficult. There was a lot of transition. And I'll never forget, in the midst of that difficult season of moving to Rochester, in the difficult season of career transition, my brother-in-law, Chris, asked me out for coffee. Chris didn't say anything amazing. You know, I, frankly, I don't remember anything that he said. But what I do remember is this, is I remember knowing that he understood and he listened. I remember knowing that after hearing his story and the difficulties that he had been through, that I was heard and I wasn't crazy and that was a turning point for hope in my life. And if you're going through a difficult season, who are the Ruths? If you're going through a difficult season, who are the Naomi's? How do you have hope on your bad days? Number one, real hope in Jesus grieves the tragedies of life. Number two, real hope in Jesus courageously embraces relationship. As we walk through this season of Advent and Christmas and as we lead up there, there's no telling what you're going through. I'm sure that many of you are in a very difficult season and it's probably one of your worst days. But what the book of Ruth shows, even in the first chapter, Ruth 1.6, Naomi heads back to Bethlehem, which is a house of bread. And then in verse 22, the barley harvest in Bethlehem is there. We all have Ruth 1 seasons, and we can't walk away or dismiss them, but Ruth 1 is not the end of the story. There's a man by the name of Horatio G. Spafford. 
He lived in Chicago in the 1800s. Horatio Spafford was a talented lawyer and businessman. In the 1870s, he lost his baby boy to birth problems. His wife lost him in there. And then later on, he ended up losing a lot of his investment properties in the Chicago fire. Being a great friend of D.L. Moody, the famous pastor, like many of us would decide if our families went through something so difficult, he decided to do this. He decided to go on a trip with England with his four daughters and his wife. But he made a decision. He said, I'm going to finish up some work here. I'm going to send you off on the boat on your own. And as he sent those people off on the boat, as he sent his four daughters and wife, the ship sank, and he received a telegram from his wife that said this, saved alone. He lost his four daughters on that sinking ship. So he rushed to New York. He got on a boat, and he went out there, and the captain stopped Horatio and said this. He said, this is the spot where we believe the boat sank. And he stood there with a piece of paper and a pen, and he began to write these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I can't tell you that Horatio's life got any easier. He went through a lot, still supported D.L. Moody. But I can tell you this. At my grandma's funeral, we sung this song. And for many of you, you've sung this song before in Naomi-type seasons. And little did Horatio Spafford know that over 100 years from now that we'd be singing this song today we're going to close with communion and when I think about grief I think about Jesus going to the cross praying and asking God for another way dealing with his own pain and we take communion because we're reminded that Jesus is human and Jesus even though he's fully God and fully man he's walked with us and he gives us the courage to say this it is well with my soul i can grieve well i can i can hope well because i know this is that the ruth one is not the end of the story resurrection is coming you're going to be receiving communion in a moment we're going to be singing it as well. I'd encourage you to take this moment of reflection. Take a moment of thinking about what God wants to do in your heart, in your life, in this difficult season, and maybe to see how God's working.